Amen. That's right. <laughs> Jennifer, good job. Thank you for filling in for June today. You did a good job. Y'all give her a hand of appreciation. Well, how have things gone this week in the area of praise, in the face of trials? How many of y'all had some trials this week? In the face of temptation, in the face of other people around you griping and complaining, I bet we've all faced all three of those at some point or another this week. And uh, I bet, I shouldn't say bet, I'm sure that none of us succeeded 100%, did you? Neither did I. But are you trying? Are you more aware? That's the, that's the point, is to be more aware. You know, we've been talking about praise for the last several weeks, praising the Lord with all of our heart. And praise, there's power in praise. We don't quite understand the power of praise. We don't understand even the power of what comes out of our mouth. But the Bible says the power of life and death are where? In the tongue. Now you think about that for a moment. You have two choices when you speak. And the Bible just gave you those two choices. What were the two choices? Life or death. There's no in between. So your words that come out of your mouth are not neutral words. They're either words of life that are giving life or they're words of death that are robbing life. So how are you using your mouth, your lips, your tongue? Are you giving life or are you taking it away? See, the power of praise is, praise is one of those things that, that gives life. It gives life to you when you praise. It, it adds to your life. It adds to the life of those around you when you're praising God. Now, praise doesn't add anything to God. God is self-sufficient in his own person. He, you, we don't add greatness, honor, glory, anything by praising God. He's not increased by it because God is already complete, fully God, fully self-sufficient. But our praise does lift him up, magnify him in, in the eyes of other people. So as we talked about who to praise God and who is to praise all of creation, especially his people, when should we praise? We looked at that in the last few weeks ago. Today, I want to go back down even a little bit more basic and just talk about what is praise. What does it mean to praise the Lord? You know, praise is more than a phrase. Well, praise the Lord. How many of y'all have said that more in the last four weeks than you have ever before? You know, well, praise the Lord. Well, praise the Lord. Well, praise the Lord. You know, I have uh, said it more, and sometimes maybe even um, insincerely, maybe. Because, but it's still kept me as reminding me that even in this situation, I can praise the Lord. But I realize it's more than just a phrase. 
And I want, I'm hoping that today, that today's message, uh, and then maybe next week's message as we talk about why, will tie all this together for us and answer the question of what does praise actually do? So the first thing, I want to show you three things this morning about what is praise. First of all, and we're going to go through, I don't know, I didn't count them up, but Bobby probably had them counted up. How many, Bobby? A zillion, A zillion scriptures <laughs> this morning. I'm going to give them to you in rapid fire succession. If you want to jot down the reference, that's fine, but I'm, I'm going to say this up front. If you're struggling to praise, if you're struggling to praise, take the book of Psalms. And just start reading it out loud. Just start reading it out loud. And just see what that does. So you're going to hear a lot of psalms today. But here's the first thing about what is praise. Praise is the act of attributing reverent honor and greatness to God. Attributing it. Not, not adding. We don't add honor and greatness to God. We are attributing it. We're Telling God, this is who you are. And there, that has a powerful force at work in our life. Because when we say to God, you are great, we recognize that we are small. Here's some scriptures in, in semi-rapid fire succession. Psalm 66, verse 2. Sing out the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Psalm 96, 4 through 6. For the Lord is great. And greatly to be praised. Have you greatly praised the Lord this week? Is God great? We sing, great is the Lord. We say, great is the Lord. Is he great? Then what's he worthy of? Great praise. From who? From me. From my life. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord, he's the one that made the heavens and honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Psalm 104, verse 1. We just sang this. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with honor and majesty. You know, the English language cannot grasp the magnitude of the greatness of God. I wish it could. No language can. No language can grasp how great is our God. But that doesn't stop us, nor should it hinder us from using our language like David did in Psalm as he uses colorful words like this. Psalm 145 verse 3, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Unsearchable. In other words, you cannot, we cannot figure God out. His greatness is unsearchable. We can't find the end of the universe. But the Bible says he holds it in the palm of his hand. It's a big hand. There are things about God you and I cannot explain. His ways, the Bible says, are higher than our ways. His thoughts are, are higher than our thoughts. And if, if we try to explain the greatness of God, or if we could explain the greatness of God, then we would be God. We don't need a God we can explain. We need a God who's beyond explanation, whose greatness is unsearchable. 
And so when I recognize that what's going on in my life is beyond me, what's going on in this world is beyond me because there's a greater purpose that I can possibly understand, I ascribe glory to God. I, I say, God, you are great. Your, your greatness is unsearchable. I cannot understand it, but I trust it. Look at Psalm 150, verse 2. Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. It's unsearchable. It's excellent. That's why I say, if you're having trouble praising the Lord, take the book of Psalms. Just take the book and read out loud. Read. This is helpful. Even this morning as we're reading it out loud, I should get y'all to read. I may get y'all to read some of these with me in just a moment. Malachi 1.6, God asks his people a question. A son honors his father, right? Sons, aren't we supposed to honor our father? Children, aren't we supposed to honor our father? Even, even grown children, are we not supposed to honor our father? And a servant honors his master. Employees, are you not to honor your employer? But then God asks this question, if I am your father, then where is my honor? And if I am your master, where is my reverence? So you see, God says, the way we honor others, he said, I expect to be honored. And that's what praise does for us. It honors God in our lives. We lift him up in our lives. So, Proverbs, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. Jesus said, these people draw near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Let me ask you this. Where does praise originate? In your life. Where is it supposed to come from? That's right. The heart. See, praise has to come deeper than the mouth. Now, I admit. I've said, I, praise the Lord more times in the last four to five weeks than I have in a long time. And sometimes I've said it when it was just coming out of the mouth and I didn't feel it in the heart. Honor with our lips, but our heart's far from him. That's why that's the title of this series that we started a year ago is With All My Heart. Love with all my heart. Seek the Lord with all my heart. Serve him with all my heart. Obey him with all my heart. Trust him with all my heart. Return to him with all my heart. Praise him with all my heart. It's got to come from the heart. And so if you don't have this concept of praise and you find it difficult to get out of your mouth it's not a mouth problem by the way do you know your tongue is not a tongue problem you've heard that story i love this illustration it's hilarious but it's true this woman walks down the aisle she takes the preacher by the hand she says preacher i want to lay my tongue on the altar i've been gossiping i've been fussing and complaining and griping and i've just been discontent and ungrateful about everything and i just want to lay my tongue on the altar preacher said ma'am ain't an altar big enough here or your tongue you see because it's not a tongue issue it's a heart issue you're struggling to praise it's a heart issue sometimes we say it with our mouths but we don't mean it with our hearts Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.17 now to the king eternal immortal invisible to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, Paul is just speaking here. In fact, he's not speaking. He is actually writing a letter to Timothy. Let me ask you this. In your writings, 
the things you write, the things you post, are they matching the things you sing on Sunday? Are they matching what you say you believe about God? Paul's writing and he says, my writing, my, the reason I'm writing is, is to the King Eternal, who, is, who alone is wise. And this writing is to His honor, to His glory forever and ever. Amen. Chapter 6, verse 16 of 1 Timothy. Who alone has immortality. Let me read verse 15. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to whom be honor and everlasting power and glory. Paul just, he, he, he lived this life. You see, he was the one that was in prison with Silas, singing God's praises while he was imprisoned and shackled in the dungeons. And now as he's writing to Timothy, he can't help but erupt in praise as he's writing. And it's not negative, com com complaining, criticizing, it's praise. You see, praise is attributing reverent honor and greatness to God in all of our ways. Revelation chapter 4 is another example what we see going on in heaven. Verse 9, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne. By the way, where is God? What did that verse say? Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him, where is God? Where is he? Where is he? He's on the throne. What is a throne? Isn't it a place of power? A place of authority? A place of ruling? Is his throne over America only? Is his throne over Russia only? Or is his throne over all the world? And over all the universe? You see, God still sits on the throne. And our praise is is recognizing that God's on the throne, who lives forever and ever. Verse 10, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, there it is again, and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Chapter 5, verse 11 then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne. There it is again. The living creatures, all the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. What we see here in Revelation 4 and 5 is all of creation. All of creation. Everything God created is worshiping Him and saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. See, our praise, what praise is, is that it's, it's the act of attributing reverent honor and greatness. It's an act, oftentimes of obedience. It's an act of obedience. It's not always an emotion. It's an act. I'm ascribing honor and greatness to God. In other words, I am telling God how great He is. I'm telling others how great God is. 
What else is praise? You see, when we do this, the second definition comes into play. Praise is the act of magnifying God's name and character. Magnifying who God is and his nature, his attributes. We're going to look at some of those attributes. Let me ask you, what does it mean to magnify something? How many of you have a pair of these right here? Now, some of you are wearing prescription glasses. That's not what this is. There's no prescription. These are about a quarter apiece, I think. Maybe 99 cents. You know what these are? They're magnifiers. And when I put them on, y'all get blurry. But this gets bigger. It's to make things bigger. And that's what praise does. It makes God bigger so others and ourselves can see him better. We magnify our problems. That's why we can't ever feel like praising because all we see these big problems. Next week I'm going to ask you some questions about what, who is bigger. <clears throat> But I'm not going to preach that message yet. I'm going to save it for next week. But what is bigger in your life? Your problems? For some of you, it is your problems. You've magnified them. That's all your focus. No wonder you don't feel like praising. <clears throat> Put your magnifying glasses on. Open to the book of Psalms. And start praising God. And before long, your soul can't help but to see the bigness of God and the smallness of your problems. I got to cheat. I'm going to cheat a little bit from next, for next week. Who was bigger? God or Goliath? Who did Israel's army think was bigger? Who did David think was bigger? What are you? The Israelite army or David? God's bigger. Put your magnifying glasses on. Use praise. It'll make God bigger. Psalm 7, 17. Here it is. Rapid fire succession. I will praise the Lord. Read with me. Read all these with me. Let's read them. I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord most high. What are we talking about? Magnifying God's name. By the way, what are some of God's names that you can magnify him about? For example, Jesus. 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 What does that name mean? Jesus means God saves. Has God saved you? Jesus. God has saved me. Another example, Abraham, when God showed him the ram caught in the thicket and Abraham was able to take that ram and use it as a substitute instead of offering Isaac his son that God had commanded him to offer. At the last moment, God provided that ram, which was a picture of Christ, as our substitute. And God said, and, and many times in the Old Testament, when a person had an encounter with God, they assigned a name to God. In other words, ascribed God this quality that they had not known before. And when Abraham saw how God had provided that lamb in place of his son, he said, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord has provided. And he praised. 
as the Lord provided for you. Praise is magnifying God's name, God's attributes. Psalm 9, verse 2. Read it with me. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. That's one of his names. God, you're the Most High God. There's no other God higher than you. There are no other gods we read before in one of the scriptures earlier. All the other gods are idols. Psalm 21, 13. Read with me. Be exalted, O Lord, in your own strength. We will sing and praise your power. Power. Is there anybody more powerful than God? No. Psalm 30, verse 4. Sing praise to the Lord. By the way, have you noticed in your Bible and in these scriptures, capital L-O-R-D, all caps? That's a name. When you see that, that's the name Yahweh. That's God's name. That's how he revealed himself to Moses and the children of Israel. I am Yahweh, your God. In fact, it was unpronounceable because the Israelites were afraid of taking God's name in vain. We don't have to, well, we do have to worry about taking his name in vain, but we don't have to worry about pronouncing it as taking it in vain unless we're using it in a slanderous way, but to praise his name. We, let's finish. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his. Join me. And give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. Psalm 63, verse 3. Join me. Because of your what? Loving kindness is better than life. My lips shall praise you. Have you discovered that God's love for you is better than life? That his mercy and kindness towards you? Has he been merciful? Has he been kind, compassionate? Bible says his mercies are new every morning. Bible says if it weren't not for his mercies, we'd all be consumed. In other words, what is mercy? It's God withholding from me what I deserve. What do I deserve? Hell. And whatever I get better than that, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Look at Psalm 99, verse 3. Let them praise your great and awesome name, for he is what? Holy. Praise God for his holiness. We live in a world of Filth and dirt and scum and all kinds of hatred and violence and immorality. But praise God, God is other than that. And He is living within me. In fact, He has called me and you as His people holy. That is set apart unto Himself. And that we're going to be in a place where they're absent from all of this mess. Join me in Psalm 118 verse 21. I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. Has God answered your prayers? Praise him. Psalm 135 verse 3. Praise the Lord for the Lord is good. Sing praises to his name for it is pleasant. You see, you cannot read the Psalms and not praise the Lord. It will lift you up. Psalm 136. We're not going to read the whole thing, but I want to read the first four verses. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. Some of you maybe don't believe that. For his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the God of gods, for his mercy endures forever. Oh, give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his mercy endures forever. Do you hear a phrase that keeps repeating? By the way, Psalm 136 has 26 verses, and 26 times the psalmist says, For his mercy endures forever. 
For his mercy endures forever. For his mercy endures forever. Can we not praise God for his mercy enduring forever? It's new every morning. You cannot exhaust the mercy of God. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6, 12, and 14. I want to pick up on this phrase. It says, To the praise of his glory, of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. And verse 14, who is the guarantee, speaking of the Holy Spirit, of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, to the praise of his glory. To the praise of his glory. By the way, actually this isn't by the way, this is the point right here. Why do you exist? Why were you created? Do you think it's to earn a living? Pay your bills? Get married? Have children? Have grandchildren? Enjoy the finer things of life? Is that your purpose? If that's all your purpose is, you are miserable. Your purpose is greater than that. You know what your purpose is? It's right here. I just said it three times. The Bible just said it. You exist to the praise of his glory. That's your whole purpose. No matter what else you do in life, that's your whole purpose. Whatever your job is, you do it to the praise of his glory. Whatever recreation you do, you do it to the praise of his glory. You see, your job is to be magnifying glasses on everybody who's looking at you so they see you making God bigger, so they see God better. So when they look at your life, are they seeing you making much of God? Or they see you griping, whining, fussing, complaining, criticizing, and you're making God punier and punier and punier in, the, in your eyes as well as the eyes of people that know you. How big is your God? Is he great? Well, magnify him. That's what praise does. It magnifies God. And the third thing about praise, what it is, it's the act of acknowledging God's sovereignty over all matters. And this is why I've challenged us, or double-dog dared you, every week to praise in the face of trials, to praise in the face of temptation, to praise in the face of others griping and complaining. Because of this point right here. Because even when you have to force yourself, as I have had many times over the last several weeks, to praise the Lord, when I didn't feel like it, I was reminded that God is sovereign over that situation that I'm forcing myself to praise Him about. You see, Psalm 42, Job and nobody... Suffered like poor Job. Have you lost 10 kids in one day? Have you lost all your financial resources in one day? Have you lost all of your health in the next day? And Job recognized the sovereignty of God. Many things Job said. He said, Lord, though you slay me, I'll trust in you. He said, shall we not accept good from the Lord and evil? And he said this, 
I know that you, God, can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. Job recognized God's hand at work in his life. Yeah, he had to learn that. Just like you and I have to learn it. Proverbs 16.33 The Bible says the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. What does that mean? It means that God's in control. You know, back in those days, they would cast lots to make decisions and trust the Lord as his people that, that he was directing those lots the way they fell. For example, the uh, very first committee was in Acts chapter 1. Y'all didn't know there was committees in the Bible, did you? Y'all hate committees, don't you? Well, it's biblical. I'm just joking, really. It's not, the word's not there. But the very first nominating committee was a group of 11 men. And their leader, Peter, Peter was the chairman of that committee. Y'all know I'm being facetious, right? But this account actually happened. I'm just ad-libbing. Peter, the chairman of the nominating committee, the first nominating committee, said, Fellas, Judas is gone. He hung himself. He fulfilled scripture. Son of perdition. Now we've got to find a replacement. Any nominations? Yeah, we got, oh, Matthias. Let's, let's nominate. Yeah, Matthias. Yeah. Well, the requirement for him to be nominated is he's got to have been with us all this time. And he's got to be a witness of the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, we can't just pick anybody. Got to be qualified. Somebody said, yeah, well, Matthias fits the bill. And then somebody else nominated, uh, was it Justice or one of the other guys? Nominated. And said, okay, time for, nomination's closed, time for a vote. So they cast lots. And the lot, the Bible says, fell to Matthias. And Matthias was chosen as the 12th apostle to bear witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, fulfilling Scripture and God's will. The point is, God is sovereign, even over human decision-making. You know, you can make a wrong decision, or you can make a decision that maybe other people think is wrong, and maybe you're not quite sure about, but we think it's sometimes going to mess our whole life up, but God has a way of working things out, being sovereign. Lamentations chapter 3, verse 37 to 39 speaks of God's sovereignty. Who is he who speaks and it comes to pass has, when the Lord has not commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High? Now listen, that woe and well-being proceed? Who should a living man, why should a living man complain? Now, let me ask you this. Look at that scripture, verse 38. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that what? Woe and well-being proceed. What is a woe? W-O-E. It's a problem. It's a trouble. It's a heartache. It's a disappointment. It's suffering. It's affliction. Where does this verse say it comes from? It's hard to say it, isn't it? Where does that verse say it comes from? God. We want to ascribe all woes and hurts and heartaches to who? The devil. Do you know some come from God? Just like, and we want to ascribe all well-being, all the good things coming from God, all the bad things coming from the devil. It's not the teaching of Scripture. 
God allows woes in our lives, so why should we complain? Because every time we complain and gripe and fuss, what we're saying to God is, God, you don't know what you're doing. Just let me have control of this situation. That's what complaining is. And the Bible says in the Old Testament, God hates complaining. And that's why God plagued his people and hundreds and thousands of them were killed. You wonder why life's not going so good? Stop complaining and start praising. God blesses praisers. God punishes complainers. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 7, 8, and 9. God says, I form light and create darkness. I make peace and create what? That's hard to say, isn't it? Because we don't think that way. We, we think the devil's the author of calamity. God's the author of peace. God can design both for his children to bring glory to his name. But when God brings both, that's why Job said to his wife, woman, you talk like a, a mad woman. He said, shall we not accept evil from the Lord as well as good? And praise him for it. He said, though you slay me, Lord, I'm still going to trust you. Well, God's got to get us to that point. And he doesn't do it when everything's perfect and neat. Sometimes it's through calamity. He says, I, the Lord, do all these things. Rain down, you heavens from above, and let the skies pour down righteousness. Let the earth open. Let them bring forth salvation. Let righteousness spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. Woe to him who strives with his maker. In other words, woe to him who's resisting God's activity in your life because it's hard. You're kicking against the goads. And he says here, he uses a pottery illustration. Let the pots herd strive with the pots herds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Or shall your handiwork say, he has no hands? Now we, the Bible tells us, are a lump of clay. Have you ever seen a potter make something? He puts it at that lump of clay on that wheel. And that wheel spins. And that potter is forming that clay. How is he forming that clay? Does he take a hands-off approach and just let that clay spin and turn into whatever that wheel is going to turn it into? Sometimes that's our approach with God. We want God just to leave me alone. Let my life be. You know what would happen if God let your life be? That's, that piece of clay would spin out of, off that wheel and fall on the floor and harden and become useless. But the potter, the Lord, puts his hands on that clay. And what does he do? He exerts pressure, force. And he forces that thing into the image of his son, Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us. And it hurts, probably. And sometimes he takes sharp tools and he will scrape things off of that piece of clay that do not belong. And he will cut some things that look good but are not necessary. And how is it that that lump of clay would cry out against his master and say, you don't know what you're doing, just leave me alone. What if God decided to do that? You see, why is he forming you? Because he's wanting to fill, he want, he's wanting to make a vessel of honor out of you. And to fill you 
with his power and glory. So he can pour you out in this world upon other people to make him bigger. We can't gripe and complain against the master potter. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 29 through 31. Jesus says, are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin and not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not be afraid. You are of more value than the sparrows. Those little birds, the Bible says he feeds them. And not a one of them falls to the ground that he doesn't know about it. We had a little nest of birds early in the spring in our yard. It nested really low. Took Tinley out there to look at those little baby birds. And this was, I think, during the... Maybe during... The, I know it was during the time of the COVID. Everything's during the time of the COVID. But, um, and one day we went out there and those birds had not yet grown. But the nest was gone. So were the birds. We have a cat. And I'm sure that's what happened. That cat, that nest was so low, that cat found those birds and heard it chirping and ate those birds. You think God cared? More than I did. I just said, oh, well, that's what cats do. But this verse says, not a sparrow falls to the ground that God doesn't know it. And you are more value to him than they are. That's my 12 o'clock alarm. I think Bob and Brian set that just for, uh, just for me. That's actually this. Anyway, we'll keep going. Um, what he's saying is that whatever he's using in your life, he's sovereign over that. He's in control of that. And he's doing it because you're valuable. You're not just a lump of clay. You're valuable to him. You're precious to him. Romans 8, 28, you know it. All things work together for good to those who love God. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, all were created through him and for him. He is before all things and by him all things continue to exist. See, God is sovereign over your life. Psalm 139. Psalm 139 says that God, David, or the, whoever wrote Psalm 139 said, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed and in your book they were all written. What was the days fashioned for me before one of them ever came to be? The psalmist says, your days are under God's control. Nebuchadnezzar had to learn this the hard way. That wicked pagan king of Babylon. After God humbled him. You can go back and read about that in the book of Daniel. Nebuchadnezzar said, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. All of whose works are truth. All of his works are truth. And his ways, justice. And those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. You see, praise 
is acknowledging, God, you're sovereign over this mess that I'm in. That broke down refrigerator, that busted washer, that air conditioner that's frying us in our house in this mid-August heat, the financial woes that we're experiencing, the family problems that we're having, We praise God anyway because He sees, He knows, and maybe is fashioning some things around us to exert pressure on us to conform to His will. Because you see, a lump of clay left alone would not turn into anything beautiful. He has to bring these things to bear on our lives to form us as a vessel for His honor. So we praise because we recognize He's sovereign. That's what I learned this past couple of weeks was that point right there. Because I was found to be easy at griping when things didn't go my way or something didn't work right or someone didn't know the difference between red and green at a traffic light. And that one point God has driven home to me time and time again, and still will, I know. Lee, are you in charge of your life? I thought you gave your life up for me. Or am I in charge of your life? Are you sovereign over all your circumstances? Or am I? And I've had to learn, and learning, I ain't there yet, learning. I'm in kindergarten, y'all. Learning to praise. Because I have to, I'm learning to trust that he is in control of all the circumstances of my life, come what may. Praise acknowledges that. Would you bow with me this morning? Would you spend some time?